G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. What a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life, the sporting life of a very special footballer. You can go through his career achievements, but uh, if we just say five-time day, five-time night... You know who my guest is, Dermot Brereton. It could be Gary Ayres. <laughs> no, you've got the copyright on that. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Pete. You're looking well. No, I'm going all right for an old bloke. Now, yeah, yeah. You can ask me questions about my sporting life. Yes. I would have thought everybody kind of knows most of what I've done, 95% of what I've done already. Every well, time, Robbo used to grill me on crunch time and all that sort of thing. So this will be interesting to see just how good your research is. All right, I'll see if I can get that other 5% that people don't know about. <laughs> it's not that good. Uh, well, I think it would be because uh, we've known each other for a long time. Now, I want to put long, one long stipulation time. on this interview. Yeah, I can't call you Scoop. Well, that was one of the things. Now, I don't think you've ever called me Pete before you just did then. Just then, In yeah. 30 years. I had to fight back <laughs> Scoop then. Yeah, now where did that come from? Uh, well, you remember our old mate Stewie Harrison. We used yes, to live together. And uh, you were working at Channel Seven. Seven, yeah. yeah. And you uncovered some story or something, and Stewie was a funny bloke, and we were sitting around the TV, and he said, look at Pete, he's, oh, he's got the scoop. And we just started calling you. You weren't even in the room. You were on TV, and we just yeah. started calling you scoop. And I can even remember after the 86 grand final yes. as a young hoon, you came in after the game and you asked me about the, the win and I said, yeah, scoop. Yes, <laughs> and I did. think you. And I look back at that and think, oh, my God, I sound like an A-grade first-class gilt-edged platinum-plated bogan. The other thing I remember about that is that when I was calling you over, because, you know, the rooms are chaotic yep, after any yep. game of footy, but especially a grand final, I was calling you over. You were giving me the forks from across the room. You were just <laughs> sticking the two fingers up in the air before you came over. Yeah, did a bit of growing up after that. Yeah. Sometime after that, and perhaps still not enough yet. No, the other stipulation I was going to put on the interview was that you don't do what you used to do to me, because you did occasionally Throw stuff go to the at you or goose you. Yes, Uh, because when the tribunal used to be on the third floor at (laughs) AFL House outside Ross Oakley and Jack Hamilton's office, and uh, you were an occasional visitor there. So when we were doing our live crosses, you just found some ways to amuse yourself with the people who were on the Or throwing rolled up tape at the back of your head or flicking the towel at your... um yeah. Mid-range area. Yes, the, yeah. the groinal area. Yeah. 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 Something more wrong with that. Okay, so we're not doing that today, is that well, okay? there's a table between us, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, you know what? I went to the tribunal 17 times, I think. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, 17 times. And by the end of my career, it had moved to the MCG. Yeah. 
I just didn't feel at home going to the tribunal there. No. <laughs> didn't have the same feeling. No, it used to be lovely amongst the pot plants there on the yeah. third floor in Jollymont, uh, Jollymont Terrace, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, um, uh, Jollymont, Jollymont Road. Jollymont Road. 120 yes. Jollymont Road, how third do, level. How do you know it so well? So I worked downstairs <laughs> on the first floor. So oh, what did. we used to do, what we used to do, the lift would go up to the third floor and you'd see the second floor light up and in between you'd feel the lift start to slow up for the third floor and uh, we'd just say in, in the lift, you ready? <laughs> the doors would go back and click, on come the lights and uh, the questions would come. Hoping for a good hearing? Yes. Don't say anything, Dermot. You'll stuff yourself up. <laughs> we used to have some wonderful times there. I remember people going to sleep in tribunal hearings. You know, the journos yeah. who'd been there for a long time. Yep. Uh, remember Gary Gazelle, who used to work at um, AFL House? You would remember yes, Gary? Yes, he was he the, was the janitor. Yes, yeah, yeah. and would do Little all guess. sorts of things yeah. and look after the media and there bring his cups of tea. I reckon... I reckon there was about 25 people who worked and ran the VFL at that at that stage. Mm. Which is staggering when you consider that it was a big They worked really hard. Yeah. They worked really hard, yeah, yeah. And I used to be allowed to get off at um, 4 o'clock each, each day, as long as I could get the mail out <laughs> at 4 o'clock each day to, get, to go to training, yeah. You talked about the 5% that I've got to find out that no one knows about. <laughs> Here's a question you may never have been asked. Did you love footy or were you just bloody good at it? Loved it. Loved it, and and it has nothing to do with your ability at school, even though I was actually, believe it or not, an incredibly good student. Um, if you were to rank football as knowledge on field in my era, I, I, I thought I could outthink 99% of the other opponents. Yeah. So I, I understood the game really, really well. Um, had to at my height, um, but I did love it. I did love it. I watched it from a kid. I was so dirty in the early days when I was just, you know, 10, 12 years of age that football replay lasted 30 minutes mm. <laughs> and you only get one quarter. Oh, I was so dirty. On that. And then I'd watch World of Sport and watch the highlights. And I went to my first game of football as well, the VFL out at Waverley Park. And, yeah, just tended to understand it a little bit better than, than most of the others. Did you barrack for Hawthorne? Collingwood. Back for Collingwood, I had a mate. Uh, Phil Carmen's first year was 1975, and a mate had a... Um, his father had um, a membership, one of the original memberships, to Waverley. And he invited me and his son, Pete, out to um, Waverley. We went out that day, and Phil Carmen was playing in about his third or fourth game for Collingwood. And they were playing Footscray. Footscray, incidentally, won. I think Carmen got two votes. And I watched him, and I thought, this is the greatest player I've ever seen. And I backed for Collingwood. And um, went to a lot of footy and watched Phil Carmen play. His first year was his best year, clearly, and by far. But watched the way he played, and he was quite genial at, at, at the sport. So, yeah, watched a lot of footy. You mentioned as a kid, memories as a kid. Yep. Who was the first one to call you the kid? Because you carried that nickname for a long time. Yeah, there's a few little stories that, you know, abound. But what it was, was I was 16 and had been playing the practice match era with the uh, reserves. And I was about 76, 77 kilos. And playing on the back flank, half-forward flank, predominantly on the back flank, though. And I got dropped to the under-19s for game one. 
And with that, a oh, that's a great story as well. I got rung up on the morning of round one where I'm due to play in the under-19s. And the team manager said, you've been taken up to the seconds. And I said, oh, yeah, who's injured? He said, no one's injured. I said, well, why am I in? Who's out? And that time of year, the team manager said to me, Gary Ablett's unavailable. He's preferred to go duck shooting. <laughs> and that is a true story. I got my first game of senior football in the reserves as a 16-year-old because Gary Ablett went duck shooting. So I turned up at the MCG and I sat on the bench till half time. And there was a fella on the wing. He'd never played a senior game. Wasn't a bad player, but just didn't make it for whatever reason. His name was Trevor Smith. And Scotty Wade, who runs the uh, Tasmanian Football yeah. League, he used to be quite chirpy. And him and Kimmy, um, Craig Hoyer were great mates. He was the ruckman in the reserves. And they, Des Maher was the coach. 199 games for mm-hmm. Hawthorne. Left footer. Yeah, on the wing. And he said, uh, Smithy, Trevor. Come on, mate. You've got to get a touch. You've got to get involved. You've got to get the ball. You've got to put yourself in there. Otherwise, we'll put on. And he literally turned to the side of the room where there was just a seat with two of us, myself and the other 19th, 20th man. And he said, we'll put that kid on. (laughs) He forgot the name. (laughs) And Scotty Wade, when we ran out after after half-time, he said, who's that kid? And he started having a laugh about it. And that's where it came from. So it was the kid from then on. Yeah. So he's done a Sam Newman then. He forgot the name. And a Gary Ablett as well. (laughs) They reckon Gary, he once went to a physio, the Geelong physio and, you know, the the league physios also had their private practices. So he's gone there during the day and there's some bloke getting a bit of treatment on his thigh and Gary Ablett's gone, hey, thigh's crook, mate. And he went, yeah, yeah. Strained it, and he said, "Yeah, I'm going to miss a couple more." And Gary said, "Ah, that's crook. How'd you do that? Where, where do you play?" And he said, "I'm playing with you, Gary. It's <laughs> long." And he went, "Ah, okay, right, all right, yeah." <laughs> he had no idea who his teammates were. You know that this is going to be a rambling chat because it's probably the way Go we anywhere. chatted yeah, over yep. the years. So what I'll do on the other side of the break is I'll talk to you about uh, the start at the famous Hawthorne Football Club and also the end at Certainly. the famous Hawthorne Football Club. Dermot Brereton is my special guest. Great to have him along for This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Yeah! You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And the kid, Dermot Brereton, is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Derm, how did that kid come to play his first game in a final and burst onto the scene? I was actually playing pretty good footy. I was playing on the half-forward flank, being sort of my size, six one and a half, even though I've got abnormally bloody long arms and had a really good spring. And I was playing next to a guy called Nick Wilton. Good bloke, uh, Nick. And he went down injured about three or four rounds before the end of the season. And Desma, undersized forward line, he said, just move over to centre-half forward. That's literally what you did if you were sort of semi-tall enough. And I thought, I'm a bit undersized, and this is against men as a 17-year-old then. And uh, kicked, I think, a seven. 
came out the next week and Doc, Nick Wilton, who's a radiologist, he was still out injured, so I played centre-half forward again and I think I kicked another six. I think I had three weeks of sixes and sevens. Got to the finals and first week was against North Melbourne and I didn't kick a six or seven, but I got a five from centre-half forward, so I'd, I'd kicked like 30 goals or thereabouts in four weeks. And then... Um, for some reason, I didn't take my car to training. I caught the train into town and out to training. And Alan Jean said, I want you to come home with me tonight, son. I'll give you a lift home. So anyway, he um, gave me a lift home. And he said, I'm really thinking about putting you in this week for week two. And yeah, that sounds like him too. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he, he did. He rang me up on the Friday night after being named as a from five players were allowed to be named as from for the interchange bench in those days and I looked at the forward line and I thought they don't have anything really besides Michael Byrne resting um, it was a, a, a ruckman uh, they don't really have any sort of marking target in the forward line I'll get a game here <laughs> it's mm. a little bit presumptuous but he rang me up on the Friday night then after giving me a lift home the night before and said, uh, I can fit you in tomorrow, son. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. I, I thought you might. <laughs> yeah. He tore strips off me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that came about. But I was in pretty good form and then played against uh, a, a mixture of uh, Ross Henshaw, who was a very, very good player, and David Dench. When Matthews went on to the ball, um, Dench would... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Dench would pick me up. When Matthews came back down, Dench would go and pick Lee up and Henshaw would come over onto me and was able to get um, five goals in that first game. So I thought, this is easy. This is going to be pretty easy to kick a thousand here. And <laughs> next week came out and played against a bloke, um, once again, a mixture for the first half of the game, but I actually moved up to the flank and I played against uh, Peter McConville and Bruce Dool. And I did not have five possessions. And Yabby took me off and he actually said later on, he said, son, I panicked a bit under real pressure in the preliminary final. I took you off a little early, didn't let you settle in. So it was the only time in my career, Jeans, he ever said, I, I, I made the wrong choice. <laughs> so another 188 games with him yeah. after that. Yeah. How big an influence was he, obviously as a footballer, but as a person as well on you? Oh, huge. thing is, I've often spoken about this to people. and So I got invited to Hawthorne as a 14-year-old, playing in a thing called the Ayers Squad, which became the Crimmins Squad in later years, which played against the Coventry or Collier Squad of the similar era from Collingwood. They used to play a game against each other. And what it was was meant to be boys who were one year away from playing under-19s, from within the relative zones and I was 14 when I got invited there uh, I was 15 when I went up to the club played my first under 19s game and so I was four years out of my own age group and played that full year under 19s the next year was 16 because I turned 16 later that year 16 turning 17 and the following year I played senior football at the end of the year so that was pretty well the journey for me in terms of the, the time frame what did he say the time you pulled out? Was it the pink boots? He didn't say anything. Uh, I pulled out the green boots green. first. Yeah. yeah. 
And because they uh, came from Adidas, and they came from Adidas. Teddy, Teddy would, would. Uh, Trevor Barker. And I came up with that plan. We used to play golf, and it was in the days of the, the first time they ever made fluoro golf balls. And uh, we have, he pulled out a golf ball, and his white one, and he was a left-handed golfer, Trevor. And I pulled out this fluoro green thing, and he laughed and said, of course, you've got the fluoro one, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And we had a laugh, and then... We're chatting away. I said, well, everyone's got fluoro stuff. Look at the bat grips on the test players' bats now. They're all fluoro pinks and whatever. And we're just laughing. I said, wouldn't it be funny if you got a pair of boots like that? So anyway, I spoke to Teddy Whitten. And Teddy said, yeah, mate, we can make fluoro boots. So I used to have to go out to... Mulgrove. uh, Not Mulgrove. Mulgrove was the head office, but they had a boot-making facility out in Ferntree Gully. Oh, right. So I went out there and I literally, not literally, I did put my bare foot on a piece of paper and he tra- the bootmaker traced around it with a pencil. He then brought out about half a dozen huge sheets of coloured leather and he threw the fluoro-coloured ones to the bottom. And I said, no, what do you want, mate? Those ones. <laughs> and he's like, really? Really? It was an, actually an Italian man. I won't dare try and do an accent like that. And uh, he said, really? So I said, yeah, all right, those ones. So we got fluoro-green and fluoro-pink. So it took a couple of weeks to make them, picked them up. Ted said, they're fantastic, they're fantastic. All right. So I played in them. First game I played was a night game, played relatively poorly, and Jeansy said at half time, and he looked at me and he said, Son, any time you want to get them dirty with a bit of leather, <laughs> someone, some other leather, you can introduce yourself to the football. You know, and he was very, very cutting in the way he would say things like that. And then with the pink coloured ones, they were next level. <clears throat> And Ted Whitten was always saying to me, I've teed it up with Yabby. He said it's all right. I've teed it up with the Hawthorne Footy Club. He did no such thing. I knew he hadn't because Yabby wouldn't have said, okay. He said, Jeansy reckons it's all right. No problem. Anyway, so we got to a state of origin game. And after Ted badgering me for about a month, week in, week out, about wearing the pink Adidas boots, I pulled them out in this state game before the game. And I undid the, uh, pulled the laces apart to put my foot in them. I started pulling one on and I said, look at this, Ted. And I've got them on. And he yelled at me, said, you're not wearing them for Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, double standards, here we go. So, no, but that that, that was the story of those. And the funny thing was, I mean, there had been blokes like um, Phil Carmen who'd worn white boots and so had Sammy Newman and the likes. But to my recollection... They are the first pair of fluoro green anything shoes the sporting world's ever seen. And now, if you don't have a pair of fluoros, you're yeah. the odd man out. Well, if you wear black boots these days, you're the, the commentators say, gee, you want to be able to play if he's wearing those. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, spoke, I speak to my cousins and the likes, and we watch the Olympics, and they're running around in fluoro runners, fluoro green. I said, that's a bit passe, isn't it? I was doing that 25 years ago. Speaking of state of origin... Mm. Um, EJ was so passionate about it. We all know that. Mm. You played many times for Victoria. Nine times. Did you share that love of state of origin football that EJ had? I did at the start. Um, yeah, all I wanted to do was play for Victoria, uh, you know, apart from play league football. I uh, wanted to play for Victoria so much so. I had a crack in my ankle. 
sustained it on a Saturday afternoon. We were playing on a Tuesday night against Adelaide. 1985, I'd been picked in the team and uh, had to get to training, and all I did was strap it up. It hurt like hell at training Sunday morning, the next morning, uh, and I just kicked on the left foot. Once it was strapped, I could function with the with the um, with the foot, but it was hurt like hell. I had a crack through it. We worked out later. I just kicked on the left foot, and Sheedy was the coach, and he said, um, "Why are you kicking on the left foot?" And so I was just a little bit sore in the ankle. It'll be fine. I'll just give you more of a break. And he went, "Oh, okay." So I played that next Tuesday night with a crack in my ankle, and yeah, I would have done anything to play on that uh, on that first one. By the second or third State of Origin game, Yabby had been into me, saying, son, you've got all these blokes looking for Victoria, and there'll be Sheedy coaching them, and there'll be Graham Richmond, and there'll be Schwabby, and they'll all be saying, get into them, give them a clip, go through them, play hard, be nasty to them. I'm telling you, you'll get reported in one of those state games, and we won't have you here at Hawthorne. Take it easy. And... He was so constant with that. I ended up losing the drive to play for Victoria. And funny enough, only at the end when I thought, gee, I've got something to prove here, mm. <laughs> by about 1991 or so, did I really want to play for Victoria again. But I, And it sounds bad, but there were times I pulled out with really minor injuries from playing for Victoria. So I ended up playing nine games for Victoria. Um, I watched a replay the other day of the game against West Australia when they came back. Bacchanara kicked the late one. McNish kicked the late one after a really good screamer. And I remember watching it and watching them play in the first three quarters thinking, God, I was slack. And then the last quarter, just the in- instincts kicked in and I think kicked three or four in the last quarter and played pretty well because I had a go. But I just didn't have a go at state footy after the third, second or third game. That, that might prove one of the 5% that we were talking about at the mm. top of the show. Now, I know that you said 95% is documented. When we take a break, we can't not talk about that wonderful era and all of those grand finals in a row. So yeah. we'll do that briefly and then we'll get back onto the other stuff. Happy to go there. Is that all right? Good. Dermot Raritan is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. More with the kid after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Nine-time Victorian representative, Hawthorne Team of the Century, AFL Hall of Famer Dermot Burden is here with me. Derm, we are going to talk about that era. When they talk about the great teams, they'll talk about Hawthorne of the 80s. Did you feel as though as a collective that nobody could touch you. You were that good. You were that cohesive. You were that together as a team. Yeah. If we played our best footy, we knew no one could beat us. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about we won five premierships over eight years. Legitimately, we won four out of six years two times, being 87 and 1990 we had a chance to win four in a row. Win one of those years, and we'd have won four in a row. Um, and with all due respect to the wonderful working ruckman we had, had we had someone like a Simon Madden, we might have just won four, five or six in a row. Yeah, we had some fantastic uh, servants who, by their own admission, Ian Payton and the likes, would say they weren't in the same classes as Simon Madden. 
Um, having said that, I think Simon was in a class of his own. Uh, but had we been able to do that and stay clear of a few injuries, like everybody has the same um, notion, you know, stay clear of injuries, and we could have won even more. If that team couldn't win four in a row, is it impossible to do it? No one that? will do it. Yeah. No one will do it. It's so so hard to keep your bodies together for four years in a row, three Three years in a row. I mean, I know we've seen it in the last 20 years, 18 years, we've seen two teams do three in a row. Uh, but they, the only teams that do it are mature teams, like really mature teams. And when if you're a mature team, you're very close to the time when your body stops running as fast, moving as adeptly. Your agility is on the wane as well. So... One one grand final, you go down in history as a fantastic team. Two, you're an all-time great. Three premierships in a row, and uh, you you are etched into time immortal with the AFL. That legendary status, though, didn't count for much towards the end of your career. You were pretty pissed off with Hawthorne at the end of your career, weren't you? Yeah, I just... I was. I mean, nobody likes losing their job, and there'd be people out there driving trucks and buses and standing behind counters and say, well, I lost my job last year. I was pissed off too. Uh, sorry, am I allowed to say that? I did, so <laughs> oh, you, you can. Did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's understandable. What happens in sporting clubs, especially AFL clubs, we, we remunerate somebody, we do it handsomely, they get paid well. No problem with that. Over and above, we expect our players to bleed for the club. And that's over and above what they want from you for footballing ability. And I thought I'd done that. And I just don't think it was, you know, that was returned. I understand the club ran into some financial difficulties, but I also made some massive concessions in terms of renegotiating a contract. And, um, yeah, they didn't see it that way. They just they just thought, yeah. You know what? This is you know what trash and treasure sale. This is our trash, and out goes the window. Out through the window goes you know half a dozen, six, seven, eight players. To this moment in time, guess what? Someone like Gary Ayres never retired. Gary Ayres, the great Gary Ayres, just got delisted. And that got lost in in time as well. So there were mistakes made, and that's half the reason I went back and went onto the board at Hawthorne. Thought as good as. Or as bad as we will be, we just cannot allow treatment like that to happen again. And if we do have to move somebody on, we look them in the eye and we treat them with a bit of dignity. So that time when you went on the board, did that heal the wounds that had been caused in 92? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the guys who were there when did it, I mean, Jeff Lord was the um, president in 90, uh, at the end of 93. And he was the president and they had to find money. They had to cut costs and the likes. And I understand they do that because the club's bigger than the individual. Um, I just didn't think it was handled the right way. That's my opinion. Um, I could probably lessen my opinion from that time. And Lordy would say he could probably massage it a little bit better as well. But I get on very well with Jeff. He just had the club's best interests in at... Um, in view, and I understand that the, the club is the people who were running it at that time, but the club keeps going forever. So you get a chance later on. So I thought I'd go back and try my hand as best I could uh, under the board of Ian Dicker.
If you wave the magic wand, would you like to be regarded as a one-club player? That's a, a difficult question for me because it taught me so much about the person I have become. Uh, and, of course, you would love to be a one-club player. But going from Hawthorne to Sydney, who couldn't beat the Bananas in pyjamas? And so it taught me about the humility of losing. Going to Collingwood, which was just a wonderful experience. And see, they lord their players. And I still say this to this day. We lost the first game, and I was sort of assigned to hang with Severia. And we walked into the club rooms, and it was like the Beatles walked into town when the club, when the players came into the club. And we'd lost by about four goals. And the team sort of took it in their stride and said, Oh, yeah, yeah, this is what it's like, league football, you know, we're stars and whatever. And I gave a couple of them a shake and said, this is not the real world. I remember playing at Hawthorne. We, from the 87 grand final until it was about round three or four, 1990, the club lost six games and won four premierships, two day, two night, 88 and 89. Of those six games, I think I came off injured in one and I was suspended for all the other five. <laughs> so I didn't walk off the ground from the 87 grand final mm. to round two or three in 1990 in a losing team at AFL level. It just You just assumed that you were going to win every week. So to go to Sydney then just taught me a little bit about myself and yeah, it took me a while to acclimatise to losing. I got pretty frustrated up there. What about another moment on the footy field when you decided that you were going to run through the Essendon huddle? Mm-hmm. Was that when you kissed Billy Duckworth? Yeah. And there was a goal taken off Hawthorne, I think. Yeah, off Piggy. He, um, he took a mark and he fell away from the umpire's view and Billy sort of altered his step and gait to try and knee him in the head on the way down. He was pretty good at that, Bill. He's a ripping bloke, Bill, but by God, yeah. he was a mongrel out in the ground. Well, few of us were. Anyway, so I came in to remonstrate and I started yelling at the umpire and got him offside because I told the umpire I wasn't very good at his job because he missed it and Dunstall should get a 15-metre penalty in those days. Um, he missed it. Billy got in close and I thought he was going to headbutt me so I got in closer and kissed him to show that, you know, say this is quite funny to me, Bill, and you might be trying to get angry but it's making me laugh. Anyway... So we went back to the goal line. He pushed me. I pushed him. He pushed me to the side of the chest. I pushed him to the side of the head. So I gave a head-high free kick, and uh, the pig missed his um, 100th goal. So he just took off. <laughs> He's dirty on me. My best mate in the world, Chris Whitman, hung with me and uh, argued with the umpire and argued with him so long. By the time I decided to vacate the scene, uh, the huddles had formed and... They were just in a direct path, the Essendon huddle from where I wanted to get to. Mm. Mm. So there it was, and through you went. Well, we started jogging towards it, Whitty and I, and about 15, 20 metres away, I just literally on the spur of the moment thought, well, I'm not deviating, and Whitty started to veer out. (laughs) And I somehow got through to the other side and got punched about 20 times on the way through, I would estimate. Got through to the other side. Witty starts to come veer back in and join up with me. We jogged into the group again and got met by Alan Joyce, who had actually seen it all unfold. And in, his uh, uh, viewpoint was? Yeah, he, uh, of the incident? Yes. Yeah, he wasn't all that happy. No. He asked me, um, yeah, why I shouldn't be sent to the bench, banished. And I told him, because <laughs> I'd just been punched in the head, you know, 
15, 20 times, and I was still really angry. I said, if I back down here, um, I'm, I'm gone. I'm on the bench. She said, why shouldn't I put you on the bench? And I said, because we're three goals down and I'm the best forward you've got. <laughs> anyway, he then turned away to Witty and looked at him and said, what were you doing then, Chris? <laughs> so Witty just shook his head and got through with it and um, actually played pretty well in the last quarter and we won. So, yeah. Did the events of that day and that opponent have anything to do with another Hawthorne-Essendon game down the track? The famous game, the line in the sand game no, that everyone no, talks about? No, I just hated Essendon full stop. Didn't Do you still hate him? It's, it's like, you know, let's put it into a um, gentleman's sport, tennis. The best combatants are the ones you dislike the most because they bring out the best in you and you have to dislike them to get over the top of them. But you admire them so much for what they can make you do in, in an effort to beat them. I'm sure that, you know, Federer probably likes, you know, Nadal and they probably like each other. Until they walk onto the court together. Correct. And then they bring out the best shot play, they bring out the hardest edge in each other and for that time it is um, it's on. So in a really nasty physical sport that's what they tended to do to myself and blokes like Dipper Yeah. so we, they were people are going to think you know, oh, you're making it up but they started the dirty stuff with us and uh, we we thought, well, we can match that and give them more. So I think it's about 50 <laughs> 50. Yeah. They got a few wins in, and we got a few wins back on them. Yeah, but they were a pretty nasty and tough. And I went through it with um, uh, Robbo. I showed him the 85 grand final, and I said, I'm going to stop it, and I'm going to rewind it, and I'm going to show you little snide acts from both sides, players on both sides. Took me about an hour to get through the first quarter. Mm. And then the famous brawl happened. and <laughs> Just showed him the little things that happened in those years. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, transfer forward to um, 2004, I think, the line in the sand game. Mm. Yeah. Well, I didn't really have a great hand in it. I'm glad people think I might have <laughs> be associated with it. Did you or did you not say Mark Johnson should not come off the ground? Yes, I did. But I said that to two players, not a group. Um, I think Patrick Smith said suggested at the time that um, I'd address the team, which could be further from the truth. I actually went down there to listen to the coaches. Um, and good bloke, um, Jono, um, from Essendon. And he slam-tackled Robbie Campbell, who was just a puppy at that stage. Big kid, but just a puppy. And it was pretty pernicious. It was pretty nasty. Robbie had heard the whistle, didn't play the game out because of the whistle. Uh, sorry, play the sport out to to the end. So we went limp to hand the ball back, and Jono went through with a slam-tackle, and Robbie didn't get up, and that incensed us. And they not only pantsed us for... You know, the previous 10 or so games, they'd um, really beaten us up. So I went downstairs pretty agitated. And then just when I was at the urinals, a couple of the Hawthorne boys walked up and I said, don't let that little so-and-so walk off the ground. He's one of the few who did walk off the ground. I'm like, and he's pretty tough, John. Eh? He was, yeah. Yeah, Mark Johnson. So, um, yeah, but that's that's as far as it went. And apparently there was this great big expose, you know, into how I... Um, 
souped them up and sealed them up, which couldn't be further from the truth. One last one I want to talk to you about, the, the famous Mark Yates incident. Yep. It's almost, it has gone into footy folklore. It's seen as one of the most heroic acts on the football field. Did you see it that way? When you recovered and kicked that goal, did you sense at the time what it meant in the overall scheme of things, not only to Hawthorne on that day, but how that act would be regarded because everything that happens in grand finals are multiplied by 10? No. I've never been asked that question before. No. In the moment, you're just playing the sport. I sensed the moment of being a grand final. The moment I sensed was I have every right to go off the ground here. I know I've broken ribs. Um, and I sensed that moment, but I just didn't want to let that happen. So um, probably earned the most praise from the coach, Alan Jeans, for that moment you know, of my footballing career. Did that mean a lot to you? That oh, everything. Because he wouldn't hand it out willy-nilly. No. I still say, in my entire career under Jeansy, he said to me, well done, son, twice. I reckon I played a few more games than two. Hmm. Two good games, more than two good games. Um, he was like the hard disciplinarian father who you loved and admired who just couldn't hand out a compliment. So when he gave it, you gave that compliment. You just meant the world to you. Yeah. So at that stage, no, I didn't think it was that. I was just thought, you know, stay on the ground, kick the goal. That's part of the gig. And uh, keep playing as long as you can. We're just about out of time. When we come back, you mentioned one name, Jason Dunstall, or Piggy as you call him. Yep. I want to find out what your relationship is with Jason Dunstall. Because Ordinary. I, I don't know whether you're madly in love you two or whether you just want to belt the living suitcase out of each other. Ordinary bloke. We'll find out when we come back on the other side of the break. Dermot Brereton with the final segment on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. We need three hours for the show. I'm convinced about that with Dermot Brereton, our final segment with Derm. Now tell me, how's fatherhood? Are you a good, good dad? Are you a proud dad? What sort of I'm, dad have I'm you been? I'm a good dad. I've had both my kids when they turned 10 years of age. So my daughter's 22 now. My son's 18. When they both turned 10 years of age, or just months literally after, they got their choice to who they want to live with. So they both come and live with me in turn. And I've still got my son now, and my daughter comes home once every blue moon and then moves out again. And So, yeah, I've, I've been a single dad for... 12 years now yeah so and love it love it mm. it's great fun I try and lead by example but it's not rubbing off yet do you draw doom on the experiences you have with your dad because there's been a lot of tragedy in your family yeah yeah well yeah the, you look at some of the mistakes and there's no blueprint for how to bring up kids you've got the basic principles of what you think fatherhood should be um, yeah and we all have experienced parents you know, above us at some stage and a lot of the things they hand on are fantastic to us and then they get some wrong so you try and find your own way about it but I still sit back at the end of the day and look at the way I've parented and gone probably should have done that a bit differently yeah. there wouldn't be one parent who's ever existed who wouldn't have had that thought at some stage though only liars yeah exactly <laughs> only liars would say differently how's your boy with his footy aptitude has he got what it takes he's think? remarkably instinctive um, there are things that 
he does as a lead-up half-forward that um, I can't teach league footballers. Still got to learn a lot more about the sport, but his body's failing him a bit. He's still in a moon boot at the moment, so um, a lot faster than his old man. <laughs> Seriously faster than his old man. But his, um, his aptitude for footy, he's got to learn a bit more about it, but... Uh, He's got some raw talents, so it, you know what? He'll make it if he really, really applies himself. Would you encourage him to do the chicken walk at some stage during his career? <laughs> <laughs> he will. If he actually gets to hear this, he'll be phoning me within minutes. Yes. <laughs> what are you talking like me like that about me for? You're an idiot. <laughs> Every father's a. I almost swore that every father's a dunce in their son's eyes. So, yeah. yeah, he um, now encourage him to find his own path, but he's um, he's got some serious talent. Yeah. We've loved having you on for the last hour or so. We've been talking to our producer in the commercial breaks, uh, John O'Nash, sitting in the control room, suggesting that we should do this over four parts, maybe four hours of chat, and even then, I still don't think we'd get through everything that we did. Did we get to anything about. new? I can tell you one thing new. We mentioned Hawthorne. There's a little bit of a snippet for you. You know out at Waverley, there's the big mosaic. Mm. When I worked at VFL House, I got sent by Alan Schwab to go to the man who made that mosaic, and they had a picture of Kelvin Templeton going for a mark, and that was a photograph, a flat uh, 2D image in front of him. He needed a real-life footballer to stand there with his hands up above his head with his shirt off so we could get the definition of what a footballer's physique looked like. I modelled for that for about six hours. That's actually me. up. <laughs> it's Kelvin Templeton's body movement. It's my body shape. I find it very hard to believe that someone would be able to convince you to get your kid off to him. Well, I, it was part of my job. I was getting paid to go and do it. So I drive out there sometimes and, you know, back in the old days and I'd we'd walk in and I'd look up there and if I was with someone, I'd say, that's me. And they go, ha, oh, ha, yeah, as if. I go, you know what it actually is. Well, there you go. It took until the end of the show, but we got that snippet and it wasn't even a question that I no. asked. It was a question that I was you posed to think yourself. Of, I was trying to think of something. That... We found out about Gary Ablett and the duck hunting. Yeah, duck shooting. Went duck shooting, yeah, yeah. first game, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure, mate. We go back a long way. We've had some fun over the years, but uh, one thing that is indisputable is that you were one of the champions of the game. Very kind of you. And it was a great thrill to be able to sit there and watch you for so many years. And who knows, we might even catch up in a commentary box the way things are going with (laughs) everybody intermingling these days. (laughs) Hopefully I'll see you throughout the year. Cheers, mate. Great to see you. Dermot Brereton joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.